Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. We have a Treasury Secretary-elect. There are many problems uh, with this guy. Uh, (laughs) One problem is uh, he's Wall Street. He is big-time, big-time Wall Street. We'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, Another problem, of course, as a Wall Street executive, his agenda ain't going to be what's good for you and me. It's going to be what's good for him and his fellow billionaires of Wall Street. And the third thing is, and maybe we start here, Nobody knows how to pronounce his damn name. Okay. First of all, I think what happened is his parents were drunk when he was born, and they 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 didn't know how to spell. They misspelled their last name yeah. on the birth certificate. It looks like someone was typing and actually hit a few yeah, too many letters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then he got stuck with the name. So they made a mistake, and he got stuck with it. He's been stuck with it all his life. It's M-N-U-N-C-H-I-N. N. How do you pronounce it? Well, Bloomberg uh, said, well, we'll find out how to pronounce it. We'll just find out how news anchors pronounce it because they know what they're doing, right? That's how we get our news. Yeah, totally. So that's how we'll learn how to pronounce the name. And they'll all pronounce it the same way, right? Here we go. Today, Trump is expected to pick Stephen Munchen. Steve Munchen. Uh, Stephen Munchen. Stephen Mnuchin. Former Goldman Sachs executive Steve Mnuchin. Former Goldman Sachs executive Steve Mnuchin. Stephen uh, Mnuchin. Former Goldman Sachs executive Stephen Mnuchin. Mnuchin led Trump's finance operations during the presidential campaign. Among them, Stephen Munchkin as Treasury Stephen Secretary. Stephen Munchkin? Stephen Munchkin. I love the Munchkin, right? Oh, Bill, I hate I hate to do this, but I left one out. Billionaire Steve Munchkin. To- <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> he got you too. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it is Munchkin. <laughs> I don't know how you say it. I thought it was Mnuchin. I think it's Manu Ken well, or Mnuchin. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Who, uh, uh, you could think. You could think. I think Reince Priebus knows how. To pronounce his name, I'm going to go by Reince Priebus. What Reince says. After all, he's the chief of staff. Yeah, that's true. So here's Reince Priebus yesterday. Well, Steve is going to be lockstep with the vision of Donald Trump and Mike Pence. I mean, there's just no question about it. They wouldn't be they wouldn't be offered a position no. if they didn't follow suit with the exact things that President Trump wanted. In fact, Steve Mnuchin. There it Mnuchin. is. Mnuchin. Mnuchin. I think that's right. Mnuchin. Mnuchin. Okay. Mnuchin. Because the N, it's the... Mnuchin. Mnuchin. And we get to keep the chin. It's like, you know... Mnuchin. Mnuchin. Well, Donald Trump, of course. As many chins as he can have around. Mnuchin. Okay. All right. But let's go back to the munchkin. Yes, indeed. You know, we start there with what we're seeing out of the Trump cabinet or inside the Trump cabinet. Uh, which is really kind of troubling, and I would say already a classic betrayal of Donald Trump 
for those people who voted for him. Not for those of us who knew he was a phony, but for those 62 million people who believed in him. Uh, Donald Trump is just proving to be exact opposite of what he pretended. Because remember, he pretended for like 15 months or so, right, to be the friend of every man, the friend of the little guy, the friend of the working class, an economic populist. I mean, you would have thought sometimes listening to Donald Trump, you were listening to Bernie Sanders. I'm going to fight for the little guy. I'm going to take on Wall Street. I'm going to raise taxes on the rich. They may not like it, my friends, but I'm going to raise taxes on the rich. I'm going to drain the swamp of the corporate elite who are running this country and put people who are in connected, connect, connected with real Americans in charge. We're going to turn things upside down. That was Donald Trump's promise. You heard it. I heard it. Unfortunately, 62 million people uh, heard it and believed it because now we know, and by the way, by the way, you know, a lot of people, including me, told you so during the campaign. It was totally phony. I mean, seriously, how could you trust a guy who lives in this incredible palace on top of Trump Tower in New York? I mean, you seen the pictures of his presidential suite up there? It's not the president, but the, but his penthouse up there? Mm. Now it's going to be the presidential suite. But the guy who flies his own 757 with his name all over it, up to a campaign event and then stands in front of his plane. I man mean, of the, the guy, people. Man of the people. Man of the people. The guy who says he's worth $10 billion. You really, really think that he cares a damn about average Americans or has any idea what their situation is like, what their life is like, how difficult it is at the end of the month. They've got to pay the bills and still put food on the table and buy their kids' clothes and try to get their kids into college. He has no idea. But we told you that all along. But anyway, we know the whole thing now was phony because so he's elected. And what does he do? He turns around. Who does he choose around him in his cabinet? Fellow billionaires. Started off with Betsy DeVos as education secretary, by the way, who's totally against public schools. She's the enemy of public schools. Uh, we've got to get Randy Weingarten in from uh, yep. AFT soon to talk about that. Uh, at any rate, she's worth, according to Forbes, $5.4 b- b- billion. And now for Treasury Secretary, yes, Steve Mnuchin. Where does he come from? Wall Street. Who's he going to be in charge of? Wall Street. Who is he going to favor? Wall Street. Not Main Street, Wall Street. And he's already said it. This is a guy, he was 17 years executive of Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, right? One of the biggest banks, one of the biggest collections of people who took advantage of the, who got us into the crash of 2008 and then took advantage of it to take all that government money. Goldman Sachs rules yet again. And all this time, and what's his agenda? His agenda, like Donald Trump's tax. And by the way, he's he's joined by another billionaire, the new Commerce Secretary to be, Wilbur Ross Jr., who says that he thinks the 1% have been picked on for political purposes. And so, what are they? But what's their agenda for both of them? Another big tax cut for the rich, which means you and I will pay higher taxes. They will continue to pay lower taxes, lower tax rate than you and I, lower tax rate than you and I pay. So the point is, 
and Elizabeth Warren made this point last night on CNN with Anderson Cooper, Donald Trump is once again turning the whole government over to Wall Street. Here's Elizabeth. He said he was going to separate that from the government, no more revolving door. He wasn't going to do that sort of thing. And then what does he do? He turns around and picks a guy who had actually been one of the people who helped do all of those lousy mortgages that not only broke the economy, but broke millions of families. And then after the crash, a guy who turned around and bought a bank that then became infamous for how hard it squeezed families that had already been cheated and was the foreclosure machine following that. Yeah, and as Elizabeth says, basically, uh, Donald Trump just said to Steve Mnuchin, okay, here are the keys to the car. Yeah. The American economy, you drive it. The American people are furious over what Wall Street has done. They don't want somebody who's going to come in here and say, hey, let's let's help Wall Street. And what Donald Trump is doing is he's literally handing the keys to the Treasury over to a Wall Street banker who helped cause the crash. Yep. So there it is. Yeah. That's a really valuable point that she makes, because when you look at how Donald Trump is going to govern and how he's sort of shown that he's going to govern, these cabinet picks are extremely important. Because, as we've learned, Donald Trump's not a details guy. No, no. He's a salesman. I mean, he, he admits that. And his job is to go out and try and sell these ideas. But he's just going to let his cabinet members do whatever they want. He's not going to get involved in the details. So what you see yeah. at the top of these different departments they're going to they're going to run it however they want to they're going to follow directions from their president and here here's the other thing is that 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 really makes us more offensive than ever which is of course the whole theme of of Trump's campaign right you can't trust Hillary Clinton because she's the senator from Wall Street she was the senator from New York she raised all this money from Wall Street. She gave all these speeches to Goldman Sachs and and got 250000 or more for all these speeches. So she's in the pocket of Wall Street, and she will turn the economy and the government over to Wall Street, right? Well, I'm not defending Hillary's speeches. You know that. And it is true that Hillary's got too many buddies on Wall Street, but i got to tell you something else. Hillary would not have appointed a Wall Street executive as a Treasury secretary. She's smarter than that, and her values are better than that, and her progressive agenda is is better than that. She's for real. Donald Trump is not, and he's proving it. Uh, Hillary would not have turned the Commerce Department over to Wall Street as well. Yeah, she had a lot of, a lot of friends there, but it turns out the one who is really Mr. Wall Street— the one who is really anti-working-class Americans, and he proves it by these two picks, of course, is Donald Trump. But what do you want? Look at country clubs. Look at Mar-a-Lago. Do you think any people on the minimum wage, do you think any middle-class Americans making 40 or 50 grand spend a vacation at Mar-a-Lago? No. It's a little club for billionaires. Right? Yeah. Just like Trump Tower or the Jean-Georges restaurant is a club for billionaires. And now the Donald Trump cabinet is a club for billionaires. A billionaire surrounding himself with other billionaires who don't care about the American people. That's what we got. 
How do you like that economic populism, the 62 million of of you who voted for Donald Trump? Well, uh, now the scene will soon change to a new administration and a new Republican-controlled Congress. But Donald Trump is not going to get everything he wants, certainly, out of that Congress because uh, the Democrats are going to hold the line wherever they can. And we're so happy that one of them in leading the charge against a Trump agenda, uh, unless it turns out to be good for the American people, which is unlikely, uh, is our good friend who is now the ranking Democrat on the House Budget Committee, Congressman John Yarmuth from Kentucky, Kentucky's third district, who joins us on our news line this morning. Congressman, congratulations. Good to have you back. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be with you. <clears throat> it's quite an honor and I've had the privilege of serving for the last few years uh, with Chris Van Hollen, who's moved on to yep. the Senate. Chris has been a great ranking member, so uh, I learned a lot uh, sitting next to him. And look, look forward to this next session, because unlike the last few years when what we were doing was kind of moot, because whatever the Republican uh, budget came out of the House, if in fact it did, and it wasn't going anywhere because of uh, President Obama in the White House. And uh, But this time, the budget uh, has real potential to be enacted. And if it's anything like what we've seen over the last few years, including the Ryan budget, uh, which was so politically toxic that Mitt Romney had to repudiate it when Ryan was his running mate in 2012, uh, you know, we're going to have the, uh, the opportunity to to demonstrate the stark contrast between uh, a party that wants to invest in the American people and a party that wants to invest in the top 1%. Uh, the big news in the House yesterday, among Democrats, of course, was the vote for leadership. Um, were you surprised uh, uh, by uh, the strong showing of uh, Leader Pelosi to hold on to her position or by the strong showing of uh, Paul Ryan as a challenger? Uh, t- Tim Ryan, sorry. Tim Ryan. Um, I really wasn't surprised at the outcome. Uh, there is a considerable amount of of, of sense in the, ca- in the caucus, far more than one-third, that we need to go in a different direction. That different direction doesn't necessarily need a new uh, minority leader. And I think that's what you saw. You saw people who, who still have confidence in Nancy Pelosi, but you saw a significant amount of people who want to do some things differently, changes in the, in the caucus structure, uh, Leader Pelosi has embraced a lot of those. One of those calls, we're, we're going to vote on this morning, calls for an election of the head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee mm-hmm. rather than just an appointment by the leadership. So I think she's, she certainly has sensed that uh, we, need to get, we need to make some changes. We need to provide opportunities for newer members, fresher faces, and that's what we're going to do. events yesterday down in North Carolina and South Carolina. Uh, it's good to have Debbie Hines with us, our own legal analyst and trial lawyer. Hello, Debbie. Hello, Bill. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Always good to see you. Um, not such good news to start off with today, perhaps. Uh, down in Charlotte, North Carolina, it was the uh, Mecklenburg County District Attorney, Andrew Murray, who made uh, an announcement uh, yesterday related to the death um, a couple of months ago of Keith Lamont Scott, <clears throat> shot by Officer Vincent there in Charlotte, as his late girlfriend, I think, not his wife, or 
was his wife. Wife. His wife. Sitting alongside of him in the car, pleading that video. This is so hard to watch. Pleading with the officer not to shoot her husband. Here's Andrew, uh, district attorney's uh, announcement yesterday. Their recommendation was unanimous. That bears repeating. Fifteen career prosecutors and their recommendation was unanimous. Uh, unanimous not to uh, press charges against Officer Vincent, uh, Andrew Murray, saying, in fact, he has concluded. It is my opinion that Officer Vincent acted lawfully when he shot Mr. Scott. He acted lawfully. Because he said there was a gun and the gun was found on the scene, uh, did he make the right decision? No. If you listen to the video of his wife, of a... Uh, of Keith Lamont Scott's wife, who was outside the car recording the video. She's letting the officer know that her husband has a traumatic brain injury. That, She's letting him know right, there's issues, right. that now, there's mental health. This is not health, the one right. we're sitting alongside in the car. I, I, I confuse right. that. Right. Yeah, the they're, they're come so yeah. fast. This that is we, the right. Exactly. He's in the pickup truck. He's in the pickup truck. She's right. out the car. Sorry. She's trying to negotiate between the officer and her husband. She's telling him, Keith, get out the car. Do not let them break the window. She's at the same time is letting the officer know he has a traumatic brain injury, and she's just pleading with the officer. And she's really relatively calm when she's talking through the video. So totally. there's no reason for the officers to have shot him. He should not have been in fear. Of course, that's what he would have said is that he was in fear and in most other instances I hate to say when there have been white individuals that have been involved the police can do a standoff for four to six hours when the people are involved but it somehow when it happens to be a black individual they're just get you know gun happy and shoot the individual so I do think that they should have proceeded with charges yeah uh, was this a grand jury or a panel of prosecutors who you know, I because he said fifteen career prosecutors. He That's said what fifteen me. career um, prosecutors. So he didn't go into detail. So yeah. here's what I don't know what happened. So I don't know if they just decided not to take it before a grand jury, which is their right. I mean, he's not saying it was decided by mm-hmm. a grand jury. So I don't know for sure, and he's not giving us at this point any other information. But from what he's saying in the in the tape, it's sounding like he discussed it, uh, you know, with other career prosecutors in the office. And you have to also understand that in that county and that prosecutor's office, that's the same case that came out of with the victim was Jonathan Farrell, where they did bring charges and a jury um, was unable to um, convict. It was a hung jury, and then they decided not to prosecute again. So they've kind of got like a little history mm-hmm. going on. And I'm sure that in terms of, you know, the prosecutors that are involved, they're kind of thinking back on that case, too, which they should not. Right. Uh, in this case, um, what about the fact, if we can play that next clip, uh, Jamie, where Murray says, you mentioned the gun and, and the gun was was found at, at there was some confusion in the beginning, remember, in the video as to whether or not there was a gun on the ground or kind of whatever. Wherever the gun was found, it was found at the scene. Uh, here's Andrew Murray again. Mr. Scott's gun, a Colt 380 semi-automatic, was recovered at the scene. It had one round in a chamber, the safety was off, and the gun was cocked. Does that indicate he was about to, to use it against one of the officers? You know, I just go with what the wife's video is, and there is no indication of anything in her video. And like I said, and she's right there at the same time and moment and pretty much trying to 
maneuver between the two of them, and there's no instance. So I kind of feel that if he had had a gun and it had been cocked, I mean, the way she was describing in the video, she would have said, Keith, put the gun down, because she was basically pleading with him to get out to get out of the vehicle. And, and we've honestly have seen from the other cases, uh, Walter Scott's, which I know we may get to, the South Carolina case, where the officer tried to plant the taser. So I'm not saying that Mr. Scott didn't have a gun. It right. is a question of whether the question is whether the officer was in fear for what he may or may not have been doing with the gun. Right, and whether there was any other way to subdue him or exactly. to bring under control rather than... Exactly, in yeah. light of the injuries that he right. had. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. We welcome good friend of the program, director, uh, communications director for Every Voice, uh, driven to get the money out of politics and get people back in charge, Adam Smith. Hello, Adam. Good to see you. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's take a look at Stephen Mnuchin, uh, um, Adam. He is... Just the latest member of the little bunch of billionaires that Donald Trump has turned to and handed the keys of the government over to. Yeah, he's a former Goldman Sachs exec. He foreclosed on a bunch of poor people, um, hedge fund manager. Uh, and, and, you know, an important point here is he was also Donald Trump's fundraiser. So he was the finance chairman of his campaign. And so, you know, Donald Trump spent the entire campaign saying, I'm not going to be beholden to big donors or powerful, but he hires the guy who is did all of his fundraising for him. And that's not the only member of his cabinet that's a problem. You know, um, his choice for commerce secretary is this guy, Wilbur Ross, another billionaire, who uh, uh, maxed out to Donald Trump's campaign, held a fundraiser for him at his home in the Hamptons, and then donated $250,000 to the RNC this cycle. Um, Drain the swamp. I mean, he's filling it. It's overflowing. <laughs> and then Education Secretary um, Betsy DeVos, speaking of pronunciations, yeah, I right. pronounce it? It's Betsy pronounced Mnuchin. Mnuchin. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, I think she was something like the 65th biggest giver to all GOP politics in 2016. Um, oh, my God. Uh, the, uh, By the way, married to the son of the founder of Amway. Yes. Talk about a scam. Right. Who was Eric Prince? Or isn't there? There's, I think there's an Eric Prince connection to the Davos family, the Davos oh, really? family too. Yeah. Oh. There's a Blackwater uh, connection. And then uh, Deputy Commerce Secretary is going to be Todd Ricketts, whose family funded a pro-Donald Trump super PAC. Who owns the uh, the Chicago Cubs? Yes. Who yeah. he, Donald Trump Another actually got to fight with yeah. uh, back yeah, in the yeah, primary yeah, yeah. and said they better watch out. So then they watched out by giving him money. Um, so, yeah, and he's hiring all these super rich people, even Elaine Chow for labor secretary. Her family, she's the heiress to a shipping fortune, right? Like uh, these people are all super rich people and um, that, are, that are going to, I mean, help the, help each other and while hurting everybody else. Right. And, and this is a guy who campaigned as economic populist, almost like a Bernie Sanders message, yeah, right? Absolutely. I'm going to turn on Wall Street. I'm going to raise taxes on Wall Street. I'm going to take power away from the corporate elite who've been running it so far. And 
the reason you have to vote for me and not Hillary, because she's the one beholden to Wall Street. She's the Wall Street, yeah. the senator from Wall Street. Right. And you think about in the during the convention when like uh, Ted Cruz spoke and then there was this uh, these like people screaming about Goldman Sachs and Heidi's like connections in the loan, like at the Republican convention. And here we are hiring people from Goldman Sachs to be in his cabinet. Right. Uh, Elizabeth Warren with Anderson Cooper on uh, on CNN last night, uh, A360, uh, talking about, um, the, again, Donald Trump betraying the very promise yeah. he made to the American people. He said he was going to separate that from the government, no more revolving door. He wasn't going to do that sort of thing. And then what does he do? He turns around and picks a guy who had actually been one of the people who helped do all of those lousy mortgages that not only broke the economy, but broke millions of families. And then after the crash, a guy who turned around and bought a bank that then became infamous for how hard it squeezed families that had already been cheated and was the foreclosure machine following that. So if you really want what's wrong with Wall Street, these guys are the poster boys. Yes, absolutely. They are... They're the ones that messed everything up, and they're the ones that um, are now going to be in charge of uh, deregulating Wall Street to give the same banks that crashed the economy more power and um, all of that. Uh, Wilbur Ross, I uh, read last night, um, is, uh, has been quoted as saying that he thinks the 1% uh, were, have been picked on for political reasons. Yeah. Um, of course, he's part of the 0.0001% probably. <laughs> Uh, and therefore they need another tax break, Yeah. which is certainly, despite pro- uh, the original promise that he was going to raise money uh, on the wealthiest of Americans, his new tax plan would do just the yeah. opposite. And I'm sure it'll trickle down enough so that we reopen the coal mines in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Right. Um, so the billionaire, the billionaire cabinet with, with their priorities, and um, which leads to... Uh, the billionaire himself, right. Donald Trump, making Adam, you must have been heartened to know that yesterday he <laughs> promised he's going to hold a news conference two weeks from today where he's going to turn everything over to his sons. Yeah. Therefore, there will no longer be any conflict of interest at all with President Trump. Yeah. Well, as soon as he put out those tweets yesterday, I said, people, don't fall for it. He is conning you. Um, and a couple hours later, we learned that to be the case when Kellyanne Conway said, Oh, you know, he's just going to give more of the power over to his kids, which was the point all along, which was his plan all along. And uh, handing the businesses over to your kids isn't a blind trust. That's like a seeing trust. And, um, you know, especially with the close ties, how much influence his family has on the campaign, how much they have with the administration. Um, he is doing nothing to uh, stop these conflict of interest or prevent them from happening. Um, you know, he like, for example, he is in debt $300 million to Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank is a German bank that has been recently in the crosshairs of U.S. regulators. I remember to pay my student loan payments every month, and they're a lot less than $300 million. Uh, I mean, he won't forget that he's in debt to them. And it really it, so yesterday's announcement was a non-news item. Yeah. 
and, and it does not resolve the conflicts at all. Absolutely not. You know, the whether it's the the businesses, the buildings in India or Turkey, he has building he has businesses in at least 20 countries that we know of. Mm-hmm. And um, unless he completely divests, puts them in actual blind trust, that which is what the I keep reminding people, the Wall Street Journal yes. editorial page. Yeah. Recommended. Yes, unless he does that and uh, takes his kids out of the equation, there's going to be a cloud over his entire administration in every decision they make. Everybody that I know has been asking me, all right, what do we do now? Even President Obama in his interview with Rolling Stone said we can't just crawl in a fetal position. We we got to fight back. We got to organize, and we got to come back. What do we do? MoveOn.org's got the answer. And Ben Wickler, <laughs> Washington director of MoveOn.org, is in studio with us to bring it to us. It's so good to see you. Hi, Ben. It's great to be here. I know we're all in, you know, in a per- period of mourning here, but we we have to decide. Move on, right? That's Move exactly forward. right. Listen, right. remember before the election, President Obama said, "Don't boo, vote." Yeah. Now it's "Don't cry, fight." There you go. That's good. This is good. it. I yeah. mean, we everyone wants they I, people feel that way too. People right? do. There is yeah. this there is this unseen massive explosion of energy of people coming out of the woodwork who want to get involved in the fight back against this guy. Normally after an election, you know, tempers cool, passions recede, people want to just you know go back to regular life. The election was too much. I remember, you know, for the two months before the election, everyone kept saying, I want this election to be over. But frankly, since Trump, you know, gave his victory speech, there has been this outpouring of people who want to do whatever they can. People are talking about moving to swing states. You know, people are talking about changing their jobs and careers. People are just talking about giving hours wherever they can to make make a difference. There is this massive bolus of energy out there. And yeah. so the key thing now is to direct that energy into the fights where we can make a stand and actually win, right. as opposed to just chasing every shiny object that Trump throws our way. I could not agree more. That is what, that's what our, uh, commonality right that's what we all have to agree on and get to get behind but let's let's make let's make that as specific as we can one thing that i know a lot of people are excited about i'm not sure that moveon.org is involved in this actually is the women's march on washington january 21 yeah i you know there will be i'm sure hundreds of thousands of move on members there yeah and you know move on staff will be there people are you supporting it are you we're, so this was a, involved in it at all we're or? like we're, we're we're plugged into it we're not a central yeah. organizer this was actually initiated by a group of people that were totally outside of the kind of infrastructure of official organizations and now a number of major organizations are you know in close contact with the organizers helping them reach out and secure permits figuring out you yeah. know how to do the I've been trying management. to figure out like who's in charge of this event it's such a great idea yeah you know it's it, and it did just spring it out just of spring out of the woodwork. Yeah, right. I mean, I think it's a in, a in a way it's a representative. It's an indication of the kind of energy that's out there. So yeah, I'll be I'll be certainly marching on the twenty first. So and, will I. You yeah. know, we'll we'll as the kind of details of how to get involved emerge. If you sign up for right. moveon.org's emails, I'm sure we'll be circulating that info. All right, and, and let me just put this word out. All right, uh, also because I know some of you are thinking about this right away. No. Carol and I do not have any more space on our floor <laughs> for people to camp. I mean, seriously, from California, yeah. we already have, we've measured all the floor space. Okay. And every sleeping bag is accounted for. So uh, maybe so you have another friend uh, here watching. So, and we'll be out there for sure. What What else? What else? Uh, so tang- tangible 
I want to focus attention on one giant key fight that is emerging that is something that nobody knew was on the ballot when they were voting, and that is Medicare. Now, Medicare, you know, there are 55 million people who receive Medicare benefits. Every American benefits from this program, either because they're going to receive benefits themselves or because their parents or loved ones are oh, getting yeah. health care through it and they don't need to pay for it themselves because of that. This is just a centerpiece of preserving the middle class in America. And, and probably the most cost-effective government program of all. Absolutely. Ever. And time. the most cost-effective health care program that we've got. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. beats the pants off of private insurance, Medicare. And the satisfaction rate is through the roof. I mean, this is this is a crown jewel in you know what makes America strong. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump said on the campaign trail he wasn't going to touch it. But who is he appointed in charge of <laughs> Medicare? A man who says he wants to phase it out in six to eight months and replace it with a system of vouchers for private insurance. Tom Price. Tom Price. That's exactly right. And Paul Ryan, this has been a centerpiece of his better way plan for years. Yeah. Tom Price, literally, he was asked in an interview, when do you you plan to do your Medicare privatization plan? And he said, oh, so the next six to eight months, you know, probably over the summer. And now he's in charge of it. They are coming for Medicare. This This is a fight that is going to happen. And the thing about this fight is that it is terrible politics for these guys. Because everyone actually loves Medicare. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. something, you know, that this only works if they can sneak it through. And they're planning to use what's called reconciliation, which means that they can do it just with 51 votes. 51 votes. That's right. Just with just with the Republican votes. But there is no way if we stand and fight, if we make this, you know, a red line, if we demand that every Republican publicly state where they stand on dismantling Medicare, there's no way that we can't flip some of those votes. Well, the last try who tried, last guy who tried to do this, I believe, was Newt Gingrich, who had the very same plan. Yeah. Right? Uh, vouchers privatized. How'd that go whole, for him? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean. Right. So did they? I, so the reason I raised that, did they learn anything then? You this would, is, you know, for for a lot of people on the far right, Medicare is the thing they abhor most because it is a social insurance program that ties America together, that uses the government as an instrument for good. That is so, so totally against their philosophy. And they can't just they can't get it out of their minds that they got to knock this thing out. But the, this is just like when President George W. Bush in 2004 was elected. He had both houses of Congress. He was riding high. And in 2005, he tried to privatize Social Security. Yes. And yeah. progressives and, you know, Democrats across the country organized the hell out of that fight. Right. And they laid out, you know, they made the case and they demanded that Republicans, you know, put Not, up or shut up. And yeah. and frankly, the Republicans it, folded. They mm-hmm. just completely yeah, they left knocked the it stage. down and he never mentioned it again. And not only that, that was the turning point in his presidency. I mean, after that, George W. Bush did not pass any crazy right wing major policies through the Congress. This is that was that was the death blow to the entire kind of mega conservative movement, conservative operation that was trying to run, you know, run its way through the federal government. And certainly the crash of 2008 didn't help because people suddenly saw, oh, my God. Right. If all of my uh, retirement money was there. Right. No Social Security. If I was just counting on investments that I had made, I'd be. SOL. That's right, exactly right. right. And yeah. so this is a fight that, frankly, everyone can play can a role in. Yeah, you can say SOL. I can say SOL. What does that mean? I mean, shoot, out of luck. So this is, yeah, they will be shoot out of luck on trying to phase out Medicare. This is something everyone can get involved with because everyone has a member of Congress. If you are represented by a Democrat and you're listening to this, you can call your member of Congress and say, put out a video defending Medicare. Because that will be picked up by the press. If you're represented by a Republican, call your member of Congress and say, hey, where do you stand? Could you release a video? Could you meet with me and talk to me about this? Could you, you know, talk to talk to 
you know, the, the public at a town hall about Medicare, show up for public events, ask your member of Congress about where they stand on the Medicare dismantling plan that Paul Ryan and Tom Price have put forward. And like Republicans do not want to talk about this in public. They will duck and cover. But every time they open their mouth, it, it hurts the Republicans' chances. This is something that unites us and divides them. It builds our power and it reduces theirs. And it's yeah. the conversation we need to have right now. You know, it's it's both like exciting because we can be on the offense, but it's also deadly serious because if we just, you know, if we get distracted by every flag-burning tweet that Donald Trump sends and we don't lift a finger to fight for Medicare, this is something that they have the institutional power to just ram through in the dead of night and, you know, profoundly affect the lives of every American. Right. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Yep, we know that uh, Donald Trump campaign as an economic populist, but now we see that he is really not. Look at his cabinet. The billionaire has surrounded himself with other billionaires, as we've been talking this morning. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, worth $5.3 billion. Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, former Goldman Sachs executive, $5 billion. Wilbur Ross of Commerce, $2.9 billion. And, of course, maybe even Mitt Romney, who could end up at state, says he's worth $250 million, but probably worth a lot more. No, Donald Trump isn't taking on Wall Street. He is handing the government over to Wall Street, giving them the keys so that government of the rich, by the rich, and for the rich shall not perish from this earth. Hey, folks, have a great Thursday. We'll look for you again this tomorrow. This is the Bill right Press, Press Show. Show.